um, in the book of Ephesians. So, ushers, will you pass out some scriptures? You're going to need your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep the one they give you. We're going to undertake a study of the epistle. Epistle means letter to the church at Ephesus. And so would you please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. It's go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. And, and um, just to give you an idea of how long it's going to take us to study the book of Ephesians, this morning we're going to we're going to bite off a big chunk. We're going to do the first two verses. So, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, it's almost towards the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read it together. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. On the count of three. One, two, three. We love him because he first loved us. Why do we love him? We respond. He initiates. Keep that in mind as we prepare to study the book of Ephesians. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the epistle that's before us. That Paul would have spent three years in Ephesus pastoring this church, having a love for these people, and that he would pen these words from a prison, speaking of the riches that we possess in Christ, and the joy that is to be found, and the strength, and the motivation to walk this Christian walk in such a way that we would find that abundance, Lord, and tap into the abundant resources of heaven, and all that we would say, and all that we would do. So Lord, I ask that you would take this epistle and you administer to every heart and encourage us in the coming days as you did with the church in Ephesus. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing, your encouragement, your peace. And we thank you that it's all because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a seat. I want to read you a story. I was affected by it. On January 17, 2009, Marvin Schur's neighbors became concerned about him and went to his house to check on his well-being. They had noticed that the lights hadn't been on for a few days and that the windows of the house had seemed iced over from the inside. It was, it was winter. They also hadn't seen Marvin looking out the large picture window as he did so frequently, and when they entered the house, they realized the power was not on. They found a heating pad on his favorite chair, and they saw that the oven door was open And on the floor lay Marvin's lifeless body, frozen to death in the bitter cold temperatures of a Michigan winter. On January 13th, a worker for the city-owned utility company installed a limiter on Schur's electric meter after four months of unpaid bills. 
The limiter restricted the amount of power Mr. Sure could use, and then it cuts off the power if the usage goes past a certain level. Authorities said that at some point, the device tripped and cut off power to the home, and it was never reset. This action ultimately led to the death of the 93-year-old World War II veteran. Now, our natural reaction to such a story is outrage. How could an electric company be so heartless and so cruel to a man that must have been struggling financially? However, this is interesting. This is the rest of the story. You see, the tragic part of the story is that, in fact, it didn't need to have happened. Marvin Schur didn't have financial problems. As a matter of fact, it's estimated that he had over $600,000 in the bank when he died. And when neighbors and police searched his home, they found more than enough cash laying around to cover the outstanding bills. He was living like a pauper, even though he had considerable wealth at his disposal. Now, this is the part that gets me, and this is why I share the story. It's common to a lot of you in the room today. You can relate to Marvin Schur in your Christian walk. You're starving, struggling, You feel like you're a pathetic excuse for a Christian. You declare you love the Lord, yet your life does not reflect anything of that sort. Sin is not the exception. Sin is the rule in your life. It's common to you. You walk in the kingdom of God as a pauper. You look around and you look at all other Christians and you think they're rich in the resources of God and they have victory in every area of their life. And yet you feel as though you're a pauper in this kingdom and coming to church for you is a difficulty because... Your life is one marked by constant failure and your ability to try to walk with Christ. But that's the the ticket to the book of Ephesians. You see, we're just like Martin Schur in a lot of ways. We have abundant resources at our disposal. We just haven't tapped into them yet. And everything you need for this Christian walk is already right there for you. You've just been separated from it because... For some reason, you think you need to live the way you're living when you don't. You think you have no other options, no other choices, so you run to sin because it's common to you. It's familiar to you. And God says, no temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man. And when you're being tempted, God will give you a way out. And the reason why Paul wrote this epistle to the Ephesians is that they were spiritual paupers. They were living in poverty of spirit. They had no victory in their Christian life. They lived in a city that was absolutely destitute. I've been to Ephesus. It's in Turkey. It was one of my favorite trips I've ever taken. I remember standing in the amphitheater and seeing where Paul met and, and, and seeing exactly where Paul had they'd taken to stone him and all the things that they had done. And, and here he is. He's in a Roman prison and he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus and he's talking to them about stepping out of their spiritual poverty. He says, you don't understand the resources that that are at at your beckoning call. You can write a check. You can can use your ATM card. You can cash in. You 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 can turn the electricity on. You can have heat. You can live and have life and life more abundant. What are you doing dying in this this frozen house of misery? And Paul understood because he'd been with this church for three years as their pastor and he invested in their lives. It was on his second missionary journey that he had come through Ephesus and he stayed there. It became his center for when he would launch all the other missionary adventures. He loved the church at Ephesus. But he also knew how tough it was to be a Christian in that town. 
You see, in Ephesus, they would worship to the goddess Diana or Artemis. And that was the goddess of eros, erotic love, sexual deviance. You see, every woman, married or unmarried, of a certain age in the city of Ephesus, it was a port city. And every woman that resided in that city was required at one point or another in the course of a year through the temple worship of Diana to offer herself as a prostitute to the sailors that would, and all that would travel in this, this um, merchant city. Every woman was affected by that. So you'd have mother and daughter and, and granddaughter, and they'd all be involved in this worship of Diana. And the money that they would, they would uh, gather through prostitution would go back to the temple. And they basically just worshipped hedonism or sex. They just worshipped uh, sensuality. And the whole city was inundated with that. You can imagine trying to, to teach people God's perspective on marriage and God's perspective on a healthy relationship and God's perspective of why he created sex. And you're trying to you know, infuse that into a culture of people that has been deeply affected by, by sexual deviance for generations. And Paul steps into the city and for three years he's laboring with these people. You want to talk about a dysfunctional family. You know, it's often that the joke is they put the fun in dysfunction. Okay. But they, they, they did their best. Paul did his best to try to tell them, look, this is not the way God intended mankind to live. You want to talk about AIDS epidemics exploding maybe in China or, or in Thailand where, where the sex trade is off the charts or, or throughout Russia where, where the sex trade's off the charts. You want to talk about sexually transmitted diseases long before they understood diseases. Ephesus was inundated with it. They were rife with it. There was, there was disease like you can't imagine and families that were affected and lives that were being destroyed because of this worship of something other than God. And they had, they had taken their sin which possessed them and they deified it. The, the Greeks and the Romans were great at that. I don't have an alcohol problem. I just worship Bacchus. He's a god of alcohol. That's who I worship. I don't have a deviant sexual problem. I just worship Diana. And you know what you worship is what you give your time, treasures, and talents to. Some of us are going, how stupid could the Romans and the Greeks be that they would worship these gods? Well, stop for a minute. What do you give your time, treasures, and talents to? Look at your checkbook. You can worship cars. My father-in-law, if he were in the room right now, I'd go, oh, back off, boy. He's got a cobra. He's got a, he's got a shrine in there, too. You walk into his garage. Everybody's got their little shrine. Everybody got their little thing they worship. Uh, some, uh, I love what Pastor Dave says about television, the, the idiot box, you know, the window into hell in the corner of your living room. I come to realize it's not in the corner of the living room. It is dead center, and it's enormous. <laughs> and you just, you know, cable bill, <laughs> paying it, and you got everything on movies and, and, and racks, and you know, <laughs> Time, treasures, talents. Well, I put a lot of treasure in that. I don't, uh, how much time you spend in there? 
as much as you spend in the Word? No, Pastor, watch where you're going. You, you worship at work? You worship at the altar of success? You, 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 what is it? You, do, you, do you worship talk radio, sports? What is it? Chick flicks? My wife worships Pride and Prejudice. She does. <laughs> I, she's going through a 12-step. Um, <laughs> been fervently praying for her and the girls. They've gotten it down instead of five times a week that they watch it. It's just down to four. Uh, but that's what Paul, he, he, he comes to these folks. He comes to these folks who are in the throes of, of devastation. And, and then as a Christian, you realize, because where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. As a Christian, you start to realize the emptiness of worshiping false gods. Listen, if drugs worked, if they really worked, why are people who are on drugs so miserable? Why can't they hold a job? Why don't they make you better? Why, why, you know, why do you need more? If, if, if sex worked, why does, there have to, why does there have to be a new centerfold every month? Why, why do you have to have picture after picture after picture after picture after picture after picture after picture? Why? If it works, why? Why do you feel empty? If alcohol works, why do you wake up in the morning with such a stinking headache? Why does your body fail? Isn't worshiping something that's powerful able to help you? Why is your family destroyed when you come out of a binge worshiping Bacchus? But when you worship God, it's amazing. It, it's, it's, you walk away from worshiping alcohol, it's like a country music played backwards. You know, if you, you do a country song backwards, your dog comes home, your wife comes back, your kids love you, you know, you get your job back. You do country music forward, I lost my wife, I lost my dog, I lost my everything, and I, I drink alone, I drink alone. I got friends. I see a guy thing of Garth Brooks, you know what I'm saying? Where the whiskey drowns. Sad is what it is, sad. But when you worship the Lord, everything comes back and he restores the years of locusts have eaten. And Paul's saying, you, you want that kind of life? You want that kind of life? You've got to understand that when you come to Christ, there are a few things to understand. And he wrote this to the church at Ephesus. And when he's writing, he's writing it in a Roman prison. That's what's blowing my mind. He's writing it from a Roman prison. And he's, he's, he's declaring all of these, these aspects. Now, when he's writing to this church, and he's writing this letter to this church... We find in the book of Acts in a number of areas some of the things that had occurred in Ephesus while Paul was there. Uh, it, first of all, he baptized a, a, an enormous number of John the Baptist's followers. They came to him in Acts 19. He also used to hold uh, discussions or conventions in the hall of Tyrannus, and he would teach all these folks that were pursuing other locations because they had a university in Ephesus, and Paul would step into the university and he'd start to minister to them. I'm looking at Mark Glesney, and tonight he's doing the second half. Uh, he invited the secularists of Cal Lutheran to come uh, to, the, to the upstream last week and just start to lay out all these responses to questions about Christianity. Folks that don't necessarily believe in the Lord, maybe ask, uh, agnostic, maybe atheist. And he just sat there, and, and I, 
was listening, here he is. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd be like lighting him up. He's just holding his tongue. And he's being real kind with him and, inter, and you know, and, and engaging with him. But then tonight he's going to respond to their responses. And that's what Paul did in the Hall of Tyrannus as he's ministering in this, this university setting. Also, amazing miracles occurred while Paul was there. He had this apostolic authority that miracles would occur in Ephesus. Strange events took place. Sorcerers were converted. As a matter of fact, Paul created a riot when, when uh, he, he ruined the business for Demetrius, who was selling all of these silver idols to Diana. And, and nobody wanted him anymore because they were coming to Christ in droves. And all of a sudden, his business was declining. So Demetrius tries to start this riot in the amphitheater of, of Ephesus. And yet Paul survived that. And, and his very last picture is in his third missionary journey where he's at the seaport section of Ephesus, which is called Miletus. And he, he says goodbye to the church that he didn't just come in as an apostle. He came in as a pastor. And he's saying goodbye to these folks that he loved on for three years. And they, they, they were sad to see him go. And as he, he bid them goodbye in Acts chapter 20, he would never see him again. He would be dead shortly thereafter. And so Paul is now in this prison that will ultimately end in his death. And he writes this letter to this church that he deeply loves. It's the only church we know of that he spent this enormous amount of time, three years in Ephesus. Again, he didn't come in writing to a church that he didn't know much about or someone had said something like in Corinth. He's writing to a church that he had labored with them for three years. He spent time discipling them. He spent time loving on them. He did visitations to the sick. He did, he did all kinds of things. He dedicated the babies and he baptized and all the things that occurred under Paul's ministry. And it's a, it's a powerful picture. Now, this also this epistle is, is not a typical epistle because Paul would write and correct churches in his, in his other letters. Epistle means letter. He would, he would be correcting of churches, whether he'd be discussing it to the Philippians or he'd be correcting the church at Corinth. But in Ephesians, they call it the queen of the epistles, the queen of Paul's letters, because it's very much like the book of Romans that Paul wrote, because it deals with church doctrine. It deals with the doctrine of the believer. It's a, it, it, it sheds light on every other letter he's written. It is an amazing letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He knew that they could handle this, this deep insight that he would share with them. And uh, Paul is the author. And so with that being said, I want to take a look at how he begins with just the first two verses. And we'll take communion together because it'll tie in. And so let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, I want to focus a little bit on apostle. Folks believe that there are modern day apostles today. Not possible. Not possible. Two things were required for apostles, and, and it was an apostolic um, uh, position. It was a title that was granted to the twelve. And then when the twelve uh, diminished because Judas hung himself, they replaced the twelve with one other. And some think it was, uh, what's his name? But it wasn't. You can't even remember his name. It was Paul. And Paul on the road to Damascus saw the risen Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, he said, I'm the least. And I was, but I am an apostle. And I I personally believe that was Paul's, folks are going to disagree with me. You know, Paul discusses the thorn in his side that he had, that he prayed to the Lord to deliver him from, but God wouldn't take it from him. 
And he said, my grace is sufficient for you in your time of weakness. And I, I, some people said that the thorn in his side was some sort of physical ailment or his blindness because he had been beaten so badly that he's probably blind and he asked God to deliver him from blindness. It could have been some demonic oppression or whatever. I believe it was simply this. I believe it was the fact that the other apostles didn't recognize him to be an apostle. And, and that, that was tough. Uh, that, whether you agree with me or disagree, it's my opinion, a dollar gets you a cup of coffee, so will yours. So That's probably a little more now. I don't know how expensive it is. But Paul's an apostle, and two things required to be an apostle. One, you had to see the risen Jesus, the, the risen Savior, the resurrected Savior. And secondly, you had to have this divine power of healing and miracles and things that would occur. And it, and it had to be appointed by Christ. God had to give that. And, and there aren't any today. And it doesn't come through apostolic succession. I mean, that, that's a gimmick. Apostolic succession that, you know, I, well, I can trace back the lineage all the way to Peter, and that's where the, you know, Paul or I, I, you know, Thaddeus or whatever. It doesn't work that way. Apostles were for a season, it's over. Now, also it means to be sent. And in a sense, that the word is going to be used in, in the original Greek and other terms relating to those who are sent to go minister. But in relation to this apostolic calling and what Paul is declaring of himself, there's only 12. And when they died, that was it. Done deal, shut down. They were also uh, in such a position that when they would write, they would write with divine inspiration. And so their words were legitimate. And that's why we have them. And they're, they're inerrant. They're perfect as far as we're concerned. And, and they had that ability to write these things. And so he's an apostle. Not of his own doing or the calling of man, but by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the one who appointed him, and it was by the will of God. And I would share this with you. This is a picture, and this is what shows me the strength of, of believers. And this is the thing that I enjoy so much, is when I run into a, a believer that understands what God's will for their life is. Paul knew the will for, for his life. It was to be an apostle. And when you come to a place in life where you realize you're right where God wants you, and you're okay with that, that's pretty cool. I'm okay with being a pastor. For years I thought, I don't know. I don't know. And then one day I just realized I really love what I do. I love what I do. I love the calling on my life. I love that direction. My brother, he settled in to realize that he is a missionary to the business world. He loves it. He loves his calling. He loves his direction. He's good at it too. I look at Dr. Pete, Peter Pierre. You go into his office... Christian music's playing, and you're going to pretty much be guaranteed you're his patient, you're going to hear about Jesus. He's a missionary to people who thought that they had physical ailments, but they actually have spiritual ailments. And he ministers to both body and soul. Everyone has a calling. You hear Pastor Dave, here he is selling yellow pages for uh, AT&T. No, he doesn't sell yellow pages. He's a minister of the gospel for Jesus Christ to customers God would bring him whom he prays for. And he also uh, honors his employer and does right by his employer to give a testimony in that regard. But he knows where the will of God is in relation to what he does. Some of us are always so irritated by what we do that we never settle in to see what God wants to do, do in and through us. We think that our employment is to, is, is to bring our comfort. Our employment is to do the will of God. And you lose that direction when you lose that perspective. And Paul says, this is a will of God for me. And you think, wow, an apostle. Well, I, could, I could probably step into that will if it was an apostle, maybe a pastor. Think about what that meant to be an apostle. 
Every city you go to, you're kicked around and beaten and and riots or revivals break out and you're writing letters to churches that you used to be a pastor in because you're in prison in Rome waiting to die. Oh, that's a noble calling. And he's saying it's the will of God for me and I'm content in it and it's by the will of God through Christ Jesus. Can you say that about your employment? Can you say that about your calling in life? Are you bitter in what you do? I just, I just care for children all day long and clean up messes. Really? No, no, you, you are imparting into the next generation the truths of Jesus Christ and raising them in the love and the admonition of the Lord. The powerful calling that that, that has upon the world. And you're embittered because, What? And then maybe the husband who goes to work is embittered that he can't spend enough time at home. Everybody's irritated by what they're doing instead of asking God, what is your calling for me in this world? And if it's in front of me, I'll do it as unto the Lord. And whatever you do, you do with joy as unto the Lord. And that's finding the will of God. Settling in what you're doing to bring glory to the Lord. He'll take care of the rest. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But if you step into work or you step into your family or you step into life or you step into wherever you are and you're bitter, you're not in the will of God. You're a pauper freezing in a northern Michigan home without any electricity. And nobody's impressed because you haven't paid your bills. Live. Live. Step into that calling with joy. And that's what Paul says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And then he says here to the saints who are in Ephesus. I'm just going to take a quick moment to focus on this idea of saints. Um, saints means holy one, it means set apart. It's the term that we get uh, in relation to justification. And pay attention to it. It means just as if I'd never sinned. You're, everyone in the room's a sinner. Sinner means that you've missed the mark. It's a archer's term. If you're shooting for the bullseye and you hit over here, the distance between where your arrow is and the bullseye is called the sin distance. How far you've fallen from perfection. There's none perfect in the room. If you're perfect, raise your hand. We've yet to meet one. Right? So there, there's, there's two ways in religion. Religion is relongari in the Latin, which means to relink. There's two ways to get the arrow from where it is to the perfection. One is you try to just keep working at it to get it to perfection. Or the other is you just move the bullseye. That's what Jesus did. He moved the bullseye. He became our perfection when he died on the cross for our sins and washed our sins and cleansed them and cast them as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. And so his righteousness was put on our account. Here's our account. He moves his account over and puts all his funds on our account. Cha-ching! We give him our sin. We get the riches of heaven. I think that's a good deal. Anyone disagree? And so all the riches in Christ are brought right here. And that calls you and me saints. What? Saint? Saint? Isn't saint something in the Catholic Church or some of the apostolic churches, the Orthodox churches, Serbian Orthodox? Aren't there saints and Armenian saints, Catholic Church, saint? Saint, saint means holy one. Holy means set apart. God delivered you. He, he justified you. And now he's setting you apart, sanctifying you for his purposes. Good works that he prepared beforehand that you would walk in those. You're already made righteous. You're perfect. He looks at you and in the, in the blood of Christ has cleansed you from all sins. So he looks at you and he sees you in his son's righteousness. 
Not in your wretched sin or in my wretched sin. He sees us in his son's righteousness. And so as a result of that, he now calls us saints. He says, now I've cleansed you. Now I want you to get out and start doing the will of God. And you're like, wait a minute. Isn't a saint somebody who's attained like super Christendom? No, no, no. I'm a saint. Saint Robert. We're going to sell little statues of me out there. I'm the patron saint of red meat consumption. I worship at a barbecue. No, no, no. no. Listen, I want you to ponder that when you go to lunch today. I didn't really mean that. I serious, I didn't. It just came out. No, but listen, when you go to lunch, I want you to look at each other and go, you know, St. Jack. Right? St. Ralph. That sounds funky, but we're working on it. Amen? And as you contemplate this idea of, of sainthood, it's not as, as the Catholics would look at it. Catholics think after you die, they've got to prove that there was somebody out there that saw you perform a miracle, and then they bring in what they call a devil, devil's advocate, and then they have to discuss it, and it goes before a canon, and they have to vote on it, and then it's decided, and then you're deified, you're brought, not deified, but you're brought to sainthood, and you're recognized as a super-Christian. I understand the desire to want to recognize people who have walked fully with the Lord. In Protestantism, we do the same. We look at folks like Billy Graham. We think that's an amazing guy. We look at Andrew Murray, amazing guy. We, we look at Corey Ten Boom, an amazing woman. Martin Luther, amazing. We agree with that, that these are folks that have done significant things in life. But it doesn't change the fact that you can, Martin Luther is a, is a powerful man. He's a saint, but so, so is Saint Nick, Nicholas. <laughs> And, and, and the idea is, what, what makes us special? It's the Lord. It's nothing that anyone did in superhuman ability that they attained some sort of achievement, so we recognize that. We're thankful for people who've gone before us, so great a cloud of witnesses, but we're still saints. We're holy. Now understand that. You're holy. And this is, this is the picture, because this is what sets apart Christianity from every religion in the world. And this is where we're going to come to our point as we prepare to take communion. When the Apostle Paul says to the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ, faithful just is another word for Christian, faithful in Christ Jesus. And he says these two things. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to wrap it up with this as we prepare for communion. Understanding this term saint and then seeing what Paul declares, grace and peace to you. If you go in and you, you have a Bible software program and you type in peace and grace, you'll have zero hits as it searches the entire scriptures because peace never goes before grace. It doesn't happen. But in this one, in the scriptures, it always begins and it's, and it's a general order that it always goes grace and peace. It goes in that order, grace first, then peace. And the reason why Paul declares who he is at the beginning of the letter is because they were wrapped in vellum. And when we get a letter, we can look at the bottom, see who sent it, if we want to read it or not. Back then, you, you had to roll this sucker out and get all the way to the bottom to find out who and then roll it back up. Too exhausting. Just get to the front and go, oh, Paul, nah, throw it away. But Paul says he declares it. You open it up, and all of a sudden he says grace and peace, which is a greeting. And the grace and the peace ties in with the term saint. Pay attention. Because this is what it's all about right up here. It's all going to tie in. Saint. See, the entire book of Ephesians is teaching you 
where to obtain your motivation in this Christian walk. Your inspiration. Your motivation for this Christian walk. This, this book was revolutionary in my life, as was the book of Romans. I came to Christ and I tried to earn God's favor. I always thought that if I was praying enough and reading enough, God would love me more. God would be a debtor to me and He'd owe me something. And, and in contrast to that, the times that I would be indulging in sin and struggling, I didn't think God wanted anything to do with me. I didn't think I, I should even be in church. I didn't think I was worth anything. I would even question my salvation, wonder if I'm, I'm even sufficient to be, call myself a Christian. But the beauty of the passage is it begins for us as we in, undertake this, this study of the bank account of God, this queen of the epistles, is remember this, grace, the reason why it comes first, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Ephesians will go on to say that. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. God gives you His riches and He pays a penalty for your sin. Actually, you know what comes before grace? Mercy. Mercy comes before grace. You know what mercy is? Not getting what you deserve. Not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. For example, if... if, uh, if uh, Ralph comes over to my house and says, can I borrow your lawnmower? I says, sure, Ralph, you can borrow my lawnmower. He takes a lawnmower, and, and I've got a small lawnmower, and he's mowing, and, and he's got two acres, and he's just taking my little general, you know, small lawnmower, and he's doing two acres, and he's pouring gas, and pouring more gas, working that thing, forgets to put oil in. He brings it over and goes, hey, something happened with your lawnmower. My bad, bro. And I go, well, Ralph, there's no oil in the thing. Oh, I didn't put any oil in it. I just put a lot of gas in it. You seize the engine of my lawnmower, Ralph. Now, what does he owe me? He owes me a new lawnmower. Yeah? yeah. A, a better one. A riding one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back. We digress. So I say, Ralph, you owe me a, lawn, a new lawnmower. Ralph says, I, I, I borrowed yours because I don't have money for my own. I, I, can't, I can't buy you a lawnmower. Well, here's mercy. Ralph, forget it. I'll, I'll pay for a new one. When God gives us mercy, somebody still has to pay the penalty. I got to go buy a new lawnmower. It cost me something. It didn't cost Ralph anything. He broke it. He really deserves to pay it. He can't. I go out and buy another lawnmower that I didn't break with my own money. The cross, when God gave you mercy, he still had to pay the price for the justice. The wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to pay. Ralph broke my lawnmower. I paid for my own lawnmower. I had mercy on him, but I still had to pay the price. You get it? Now here's grace. You know what, Ralph? You've been mowing two acres of lawn today. You were burdened by it all. Let's go to dinner, and I'm going to buy you your own lawnmower. How's that? That's God's riches at Christ's expense. We come to Him as wretched sinners, the only creature in all of creation to sin against him. He says, you know what? The wages of sin is death. I'm going to have mercy on you. And instead of you paying the penalty because someone has to pay, I'm going to die in your place. And then to boot, I'm going to give you life and life more abundant. Everything you need for this Christian walk, I'm going to lavish upon you simply for the asking. And you don't have to earn favor with me because I've already given it to you by my grace. The relationship is established. 
You're a saint. You're already set apart. There's nothing that separates me from you. Nothing that separates you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Not even our sin. Now, Satan is the one who condemns and he tries to make us think God wants nothing to do with us. But you walk in that freedom to say, God, have mercy on me. And God says, I already did. Will you forgive me for, for my sin? What sin? I did that before. And this is what happens. When you realize that your relationship, that you are a saint, a holy one, set apart because of God's grace, His mercy and His grace, what transpires when you walk in that grace and you receive it is something the world is longing for and they can't find. But you have it. Child of God, you have it. It's called peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Even in the midst of the circumstances and the trials, that peace just comes upon you. Ask Kathy Lejeune who's going through cancer. Peace. How do you do that? I walk in God's grace. Everything's falling apart around, but I have peace. How? God's grace. God's grace. And that peace can only come when you're right with God. If you're not a believer this morning, you don't have that peace. You've tried to find it in Bacchus and Artemis and, and every other god or goddess on the face of the earth. You've been trying to find it in a bottle. You've been trying to find it in a pill. You've been trying to find it on the TV. You've been trying to find it in, in a help uh, or, or in a mate or a relationship or your education or your work. And it's not there. You're empty. That's why you're here. Oh, no, I'm not here. They dragged me, drug me here. Oh, okay. I see the chains. You're here the same reason we got here. We were in the same boat as you. We were miserable. And all of a sudden, the God of the universe said, I got a provision for you. I'm going to pay the penalty for you breaking the lawnmower. And I'm going to, I'm going to lavish on you everything you need. I forgive you. But here's the deal. You got to ask for it. Will you forgive me, God? You bet he will. But you got to ask for it. You've got to recognize that He's ready to give it to you. You've got to recognize that He's Lord and He's God. And then He gives you all the riches. You give Him your mess and He gives you His kingdom. And the peace of God which passes all understanding falls upon you like you've never known before. I've been walking in that peace for over 25 years. It's the greatest riches the world has ever known. And I'll close with this as we prepare for communion. I heard a pastor uh, at a conference share that he was coming home from a previous conference and uh, he was speeding. He was, he was in the southern states and he was speeding and he gets pulled over by the sheriff. And his wife's in the car with him. The sheriff comes walking up. He gets up to the window and the window rolls down. He says, you know you're speeding? His wife goes, he sure was and he's a pastor. Sheriff looks at him and says, you're a pastor, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he says, I'm going to let you go. But would you consider when you pray? Our department's going through a lot right now. There's some things I'm not at liberty to share and some people are really hurting. Would you pray for the sheriff's department in this county? 
when you think about it. And the pastor said, you, you, yes, sir, <laughs> you bet I will. He says, have a good night. And off he goes. The pastor went on to re- re- relate that, he says, I have prayed f- for that sheriff in that department every day for two, two and a half years. Why? Because he was motivated by the grace. Folks, God is not against you. He's for you and he loves you. And he came that you might have life and life more abundant. He would want that none would perish, but that all would be saved. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. And he moves the target. He moves the bullseye to where you are. And he washes you white as snow. And you didn't have to earn it. You know how freeing that was for me? I thought God always hated me. He loves me. He didn't hate me. He was waiting for me to say, would you bring that provision and give me life and life more abundant? And you know what it's done in my life? It's changed my motivations. I do what I do not because I have to, and I, I do what I do not because I'm trying to get God to love me. He already does. I do what I do because He loves me. I'm a saint. Saint Robert. And so are you if you call upon the name of Christ. And it's because of what he's done that we get to do what blesses him when we leave the doors of this building. And what is it that he's done that gives us such joy to want to serve him? He died. The wages of your sin and the wages of my sin was death. And he took it. And they beat him And they broke him. And as his body was bruised and beaten and his beard was pulled out of his face, the blood poured out. Holy blood of God shed for the remission of your sins and my sins because of 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us that's why we love him he initiated we respond every other religion in the world is we initiate he responds no 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 he initiated we respond come and receive go and give come and receive go and give it's communion for those who would call upon the name of the Lord if you've never received Christ as your Savior I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it right now Uh, we're going to prepare for communion I'm going to give an opportunity for you to receive Christ because communion is, is, it just doesn't work for you if you don't know the Lord. You're just eating a cracker and drinking a cup. Jesus needs to be your Lord because he said as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He's got to be your Savior if you can do it in remembrance of him. And he's going to save you right now if you've never received the Lord. I'm going to make it real simple. In the quietness of the room when heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the Bible says if you profess... Jesus before man. He'll profess you before his Father in heaven. And the professing is just going to be simply this. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and look at me. And that's it. Done deal. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and you're sealed. And the bullseye's been moved. And all that's required is you raise your hand. He went to the cross. You think you can raise your hand? It's, it's a pretty good deal. You give him your trash, he'll give you the treasures of the, of the kingdom. 
So let's lower the lights and let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Lord, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and as we've begun this study of this letter to the church at Ephesus, a city that was inundated with sin and misery, Lord, by inspiration of you, Holy Spirit, you use the Apostle Paul's hand to declare that the people in Ephesus were saints. And then you went on to say, Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.